Hello, thank you for joining us today. We are really glad you're here. Here's Jim, your host of, of Time Out with Jim. So let's get started. Today, we're going to be reading a short story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle called The Copper Beaches. To the man who loves art, for its own sake, we marked Sherlock Holmes, tossing aside the advertisement sheet of the Daily Tele Telegraph. It is frequently in its least important and lowliest manifestations that the keenest pleasure is to be derived. It is pleasant to me to observe, Watson, that you have so far grasped this truth that these little records of our cases which you have been good enough to draw up, and I am bound to say occasionally to embellish, you have given prominence not so much to the many causes celebrated and sensational trials in which I have figured out rather to those incidents which may have been trivial in themselves but which have given room to those faculties of deduction and the logical synthesis which I have made my special providence. And yet, said I, smiling, I cannot quite hold myself absolved from the charge of sensationalism has been urged against my records. You have erred, perhaps, he observed, taking up a glowing cinder of the tongs and lighting with it the long cherry wood pipe which won't work to replace his clay when he was a, a dispute rather than a meditative mood. You have earned perhaps an attempted put color and life into each of your statements instead of confining yourself to the task of placing a pardon record. That severe reasoning from cause to effect, which is really the only notable feature about the thing, it seems to me that I have done you full justice in the matter by having some coldness, for I was repelled by the egotism which I have more than once observed to be a strong factor in my friend's singular character. No, it is not selfishness or conceit, he said he answered. It was his, that was his road. My thoughts rather than my words. If I could claim full justice for my art, it's because it, it is an impersonal thing, a thing beyond myself, 
crime is common, logic is rare. Therefore, it is upon the logic rather than upon the crime that you should dwell. You have degraded what what should have been a course of lectures to a stage of tales. It was a cold morning of the early spring, and we sat after breakfast on either side of the cheery fire in the old room at Baker Street. A thick fog rolled down between the lines of dun-colored houses, and the opposing windows loomed like dark, shapeless blurs through the heavy yellow wreaths. Our gas was lit and shone on the white cloth and glamour of china and metal. Well, the table had, had not been cleared yet. Sherlock Holmes had been silent all morning, dipping continuously into the advertisement columns of a succession of papers, until at last, having apparently given up on his search, he had emerged in no very sweet temper to lecture me about my literary at the same time, he remarked after a pause, during which he had sat puffing on his long pipe and gazing down into the fire, he could hardly be open to a charge of sensationalism, but out of these cases which he had been so kind as to interest himself in, in a fair proportion. Do not treat, do not treat of crime in its legal sense at all. The small, the small matter in which I endeavored to help the king of Bohemia, the singular experience of Miss Mary Sutherland, the problem connected with the man with the twisted lip, and the incident of the noble bachelor were all matters which are outside the pale of the, of the law. But in avoiding the sensational, I fear that you may be bordered on the trivial. The end may have been so, I answered, but the methods I hold to have been novel of it and of interest. Besides, my dear fellow, what do the public, the great unreserved public, who would hardly tell a weaver by his tooth or his compositor by his left thumb, care about the finer stage of analysis and a deduction? But indeed, you are trivial. If you are trivial, I cannot blame you, for the days of the great cases of our past, man, or at least criminal man, has lost all enterprise and originality, 
As to my own little practice, it seems to be degenerating into an agency for recovering lost lead pencils and giving advice to young ladies from boarding schools. I think that I have touched bottom at last, however. This note I had this morning marks my zero point. I, I fancied. Read it. He tossed a crumpled letter across to me. It was dated the, from Montague Place the preceding evening and ran thus. Dear Mr. Holmes, I am very anxious to consult you as, a, as to whether I should or should not accept a situation which has been offered to me as governess. I shall call at half past ten tomorrow if I do not inconvenience you. Yours faithfully, Violet Hunter. Do you know the young lady I asked? Not I. It is half past ten now. Yes, and I had no doubt that is her ring. It may turn out to be more interesting than you think. You remember that the affair of the blue carbuncle, which appeared to be mere rim at first, developed into a serious investigation? It may be so in this case also. Well, let us hope so. But our doubts will very soon be solved for here, unless I am mistaken. Is the person in question. As he spoke, the door opened and a young lady entered the room. She was pl plainly but neatly dressed with a bright, quick face, freckled like a plover's egg, and with the brisk manner of a woman who had her own way to make it to the world. You will excuse my troubling you, I am sir, she said, as my companion rose to greet her. But I have had a very strange experience, and I had no parents or relations of any sort from whom I could ask advice. I thought that perhaps you would be kind enough to tell me what I should do. Pray, take a seat, Miss Hunter. I shall be happy to do anything I can to serve you. I could see that Holmes was favorably impressed by the manner and speech of his new client. He looked over in a certain fashion and then composed himself with the lids drooping and his fingertips together to listening to her story. I have been governess for five years, said she, in the family of Colonel Spitz Monroe. But two months ago, the Colonel received an appointment at Halifax in Nova Scotia and took the children over to America with him that I have found myself without a situation. 
I I advertised and I answered advertisement, but without success. Uh, at last, the little money which I had saved began to run, run out. And I was at my wit's end as to what I should do. There is a well-known agency for governors in the rest end called Restorage. And there I used to call about once a week in order to see whether anything had turned up, which might suit me. Restoray was the name of the founder of the business, but it was really managed by Miss Stop by Miss Stopper. She sits in her own little office as a lady who are seeking employment right in the ante room and are then shown in one by one one by one when she consults the, her letter and sees whether she has asked asked anything which would shoot them. Well, when I called last week, I was shown into a little office, as usual, but I found that Miss Stopper was not alone. A prodigiously, a prodigiously stout man with a very smiling face and a great heavy chair rolled down in a fold upon fold over his throat sat at her elbow with a pair of glasses on his nose, looking very earnestly at the ladies who entered. As I came in, he gave quite a jump in his chair and turned quickly to Miss Stopper. That would do, he said he. I could not ask for anything better. Capital, capital. He seemed quite enthusiastic and rubbed his hands together in the most genial fashion. He was such a comfortable-looking man that it was quite a pleasure to look at him. You are looking for a situation, miss, he asked. Yes, sir. As governess, yes, sir. What salary do you ask? I have four pounds a month in my last place. Colonel Spence Monroe. Oh, tut, tut. Shredding. Frank shredding, he cried. Throwing his fat hands up out into the air like a man with a spoiling passion. How could anyone offer so, so pitiful a sum to a lady with such attractions and accomplishments? The end of part one. Wait for part two to see what happens. To be continued. We truly hope that you enjoyed this podcast today. And if it touched your heart in any way, please share it with your family and friends. Thank you for listening. And until next time, and God bless to all.